At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truths from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 285. Today we're talking about hard-to-kill bucks and the one that got away, so stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. And for those of you that were in the part of the country that was getting scorched this past weekend, I hope you made it through because that was that was gnarly. It's look, whenever it gets super hot and it's summer, and you've kind of had the the ability to acclimate and lead into the freakish Africa hot kind of weather that that we that we'll get in that kind of July time frame, that's one thing. But man, it is a dirty trick to be in May, still during turkey season, and all of a sudden have a like 95 degree scorcher with like 88% humidity because that was just miserable. And my dumbass basically left all my yard work to do till this past weekend. So I had to be out in it for the day, getting my honeydew list done, making sure that I am uh, 
keeping up my end of the bargain. That way, when fall rolls around, you know, I've checked all the, uh, I've been a good boy boxes over the course of the, uh, over the course of the summer. But speaking of man, usually during the, the, uh, the summer months, aside from doing the trail camera kind of duties and stuff like that, which velvet fest, if you guys aren't aware is coming up here in the very, uh, in the very near future. Um, you know, some trail camera checks. I try not to check them, uh, very often, but what I usually end up doing is take on a project for the summer. So two summers ago, it was building the DIY trailer. Last year, it was I completely redid uh, and remodeled my basement into like this lodge, uh, bourbon and cigar bar, uh, kind of bourbon and cigar lounge, I guess is one way to say it. That's what I did uh, with my basement last year or last summer. And so this year, I've kind of been determined to not take on any large projects that was going to eat up every moment of my free time in the evenings and every kind of free moment over the course of the weekends. Reason being is that, you know, it's one thing to kind of prepare for the whitetail season and, you know, be checking truck cameras and stuff like that. And, and I don't check them too often. Like I said, I kind of set them and then I maybe go make a check as, uh, you know, a kind of a late velvet check, if you will, probably sometime after that April 18th, or I'm sorry, August 18th slash August 20th kind of range. And then I might do one last quick check, um, uh, in September as they're getting ready to peel velvet and stuff like that. And that's usually it. And then it's, you know, on to, uh, on to hunting season. But this year um, is a little different because I'm doing an elk uh, an elk hunt this year, and so whenever you head out west, you need to kind of focus a little bit more on your um, on your wellness, on your health. Um, certainly, you know I, I shoot pretty often just in general, but I definitely want to make a point to go either to a range or to my buddy's shop or whatever the case is, and be able to stretch out my distances and stuff like that since I'm going to be headed out west, and then need to make some time you know, whether it's in the mornings before work or after work or whatever the case is, you know, that free time period that usually was eaten up by doing my, my over the summer projects to go do some rucking. Um, cause it just seems like there's nothing that gets you ready for a Western hunt or to, to do that type of stuff as well as actually putting weight on your, on your back in a pack and, uh, and, and taking a hike. So I think I'm going to have to be doing that in some early mornings. So that for that reason, this year, I've got no major plans or projects that I need to take care of. I think the only big thing, and it's not even a big thing, that I have on my docket for uh, for domestic duties goes is to power wash the house uh, this summer. So that's that's about it. But with that, before we kick off today's episode, I have a really awesome deal from our good friends at Exodus. If you have been somebody that's been following the Exodus brand over the last seven years and have been hung up on trying one of their reliable, dependable, and bulletproof trail cameras, then they have a special campaign that is just for you. Starting right now until June 13th, use the code YEAR7, Y-E-A-R, number seven, to save 20% off the entire Exodus website. That includes their Bulletproof Exodus render and any render bundle, the SP18 solar panel and the new merch. In case you're not familiar with the product line, the Exodus render is their Verizon 4G LTE camera that provides some of the fastest transmission times in the entire industry. On top of that, it's about as user-friendly as it gets and just flat out works when it matters most. Also, if you're not familiar with the Exodus Advantage, let me just tell you these three things. Five-year no BS warranty, five-year theft and damage coverage, and the best-in-class customer service. Now's the time to experience the Exodus Render. Do yourself a favor and start running the most dependable Exodus Render cell camera. Over the last seven years, our buddies at Exodus have consistently shown they build quality products and that flat-out work. And they're very excited to announce 
a new limited product offering for archery hunters. You're going to want to stay tuned for this, folks. This is a kind of a new thing. I got some inside baseball, but I can't share anything yet. But you'll have to sign up for the Exodus newsletter to learn the details. Head to their website at exodusoutdoorgear.com and give the Exodus guys some support and be sure to lock in those savings. With that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. I have my good buddy, Mr. Brian Broderick on from Day 6 Gear. Brian's just one of those guys that is one of my favorite people just to talk to in general, regardless of whether it's on the podcast or just quick phone call or, or text or, or, or whatever the case is. And he, you've heard from him before. He's an, he's an awesome hunter. And he just kind of has a really kind of honest, genuine and authentic perspective about life and about hunting in general. And so at the beginning of this, uh, the, the conversation, we kind of jump into some, some white tail hunting. He had a really challenging deer that he hunted this year, um, in, in Alabama. And then there was a really kind of interesting hunt that took place as well. Uh, whenever he went out West for mule deer, we then kind of slide into conversation around a lot of the films he's been making day six gear. If you've not checked out their YouTube channel, they have been making some of the, the most killer hunting films that I've watched in the past you know, year, year and a half, just the cinematography, the way they shoot, the way Brian kind of envisions telling the story and what their purpose is behind the way they kind of produce all their content is super meaningful and super awesome. So I urge you to go to their YouTube channel and check that out. But as always, this conversation with Brian was just uh, a lot of fun, a killer. Um, and he's just one hell of a hunter and one hell of a dude. So hope you guys dig the conversation as much as I did. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And I got on one of the guys that I always look forward to talking to. We don't get to talk often enough, put it that way, but it's always a blast when I do get a chance to talk to him. I'm speaking with none other than my good buddy, Mr. Brian Broderick of Day Six Gear. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, bud? I'm good, man. You've had some big life events, dude, in the past like day, empty nesting it now, got all that, got all that freedom. Oh, there's, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's bigger than the normal event. He's my youngest, but he's also, uh, our autistic child who just graduated high school yesterday. So nice. we, uh, <laughs> we didn't think he would even make it to high school as far as his education. Uh, when he first started, uh, kind of going to school, he didn't actually speak till he was six and we didn't know what the future held for us. And, and, uh, Gosh, man, he's just, you know, finished high school in the National Honor Society and holy <laughs> graduated smokes, yesterday. Man. And hell yeah. Yeah, we're just like, holy crap, what happened? You know, so hell yeah. We surely surely got blessed on that deal. So it's uh it's good. And we're we're that's the last one. So nice. We're free to free to roam now. Free free to roam, man. That's awesome, dude. Like that's uh that's awesome hearing those kinds of kinds of stories, man. My wife actually works in education and she works in, uh, in, in the area that she helps, uh, she helps students kind of transition from, uh, like elementary school into middle school, then middle school into high school that are going to need right. like different, different services and stuff like that. Like whether it's, they have need emotional support or whatever the, whatever the case is. And <clears throat> that work, um, regardless of whether it's on like the teacher side or the parent side is, uh, never ending. And, uh, I just have an immense amount of respect for how much, how much people commit to their kids in, in that, in, in that regard. You know, it's like, I always, I think of like my kid and I'm like, man, sometimes she's challenging. And then I think like, uh, I don't know what challenging is, you know? And so I'm just, I'm, I'm happy, man, that you guys are, um, 
he made it he made it through and was killing it <laughs> that's amazing uh it, it is what <laughs> that's awesome my daughter she just got a uh what was it she's national juniors honor society she's 13 so she's in she's in yep. middle school yet and she just got national juniors honor society and look i was never on the honor roll even until i was probably in like 10th or 11th grade i could have given two flying f's about school until right. I, until i met my wife and I started taking all advanced courses because my wife was hot and I wanted to be in the same class with her. And she was, <laughs> on, she was on the path of like being the valedictorian of the class. And so I was like, I got to take smart kid classes or else someone else is going to date her. And so, oh, this is, so it just shows that you were purposely underachieving. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And of course we know what your motivation is now. So right. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least that's a weakness. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. At least then, yeah. I mean, she could still pretty much get anything that she wants. You know, back then it was like I needed to get the grades so I could uh, take classes with her so I could so I could woo her. That started, man, in 1993 is when she and I started dating. Our Actually, our 19-year really? anniversary is at the end of May. Yeah, our 19-year wedding anniversary is at the end of May, and we were together. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we were together 10 years prior to that. So this will be 29 years of her, her putting up with my shit. Well, it sounds like we have the same story. Uh my my wife taught i mean my mom taught my wife in first grade my mom was a first grade teacher wow and uh and then she went my she went from first teaching first grade to principal and then the whole time she was in doing that elementary education she was continuing her education and now she does aerospace education nice uh and you know travels all over the world she's a workaholic but my mom taught my wife in first grade that's how long i've known her <laughs> and we dated all through high school. We dated eight years before we got married. We've been married 27. Uh, we'll be married 27 years in August. Nice. So, uh, yeah. And I knew every time I would leave to go elk hunting for a month, with, this is pre-cell phones. So I'm a little older. <laughs> you know, and I knew when I would come home a month later with like a single phone call home or, you know, not checking in or anything like that, that, you know, she'd already, you know, kicked me to the curb and found somebody else but she's just yeah she i guess she knew what made me tick and she was patient so i thought boy i better not screw this up that's right man it's like uh I, you and i i think have talked about this offline before but i you know i think we both feel we probably both uh out kicked our coverage on the <laughs> in this in this situation because she certainly i mean all the years in a band on the road you know, not hearing from me for however long. And then the hunting piece of like just disappearing and not hearing from me, you know, now we have a daughter, you know, our daughter. And so we have the, it's even crazy to say, cause growing up, it was like, you know, didn't really have any rules. It was don't let the police bring you home and don't hurt anybody or yourself. That Those were like the standing rules. And now, Pretty much. You, you know, now I got an app that watches where my daughter goes and stuff like that. And so because I have it on my phone, when I go hunt now, she basically uses that as a, uh, a leash on me too, <laughs> where she's like, Hey, why don't you go ahead and turn that life's th 360 on since you're uh, going to go traipse about the wilderness with, uh, you know, with, with reckless abandon. So I at least know where you're at. So that gives her a little bit of peace of mind at least. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I really had a, I had a hard, hard problem, a bad, you know, big problem with that, uh, life 360 thing, mm -hmm. um, with our phones. Cause you know, my, my boys are about to be 22 and 19 mm -hmm. uh, in a few months. And so, but when my oldest was in high school, he never once gave us a bit of problems, mm -hmm. but my wife was always, Oh, well, he's here. I can look on his phone. Soon as he's I said, that is such an invasion, invasion of privacy, mm -hmm. you know? And I just, 
I, you know, my thing is, is trust your kids till they give you a reason not to. Yep. And I just don't like it. And then my dumb ass found out that we all had it on all of our phones. Yeah. <laughs> and she knew where I was all the time. And this went on for years before I realized that, you know, I was like, wait a minute. She, she knew where I was when she called. Yeah. This is bullcrap. Yeah. I've been getting spied on the whole time, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it took me a hot minute to figure it out, too. Like, I, I didn't realize it because I, I never even had opened it. You know, it's like she told me it was on my phone. I was like, all right, cool. You know, I never looked at it, whatever. And then I, I was running errands one day to, for something. And I think I was actually I told her I was going somewhere, but I actually went somewhere else to like buy her a gift because it was like her birthday or, you know, maybe it was Christmas. I forget what it was, but I was buying a gift for her. And I came back home and she was like, I thought you said you were going to wherever I'm going to Home Depot or whatever. I was like, yeah, I did. She's like, no, you didn't. She's like, I watched you on Life 360. She's like, you went over to whatever, like the mall or whatever it was. And I was like, no, I didn't. She's like, I could see. I'm like, how the hell do you know where I'm at? And she, and she told me, I was like, no shit, you can follow me on that too. And I was, and I kind of felt for a minute, I was like, man, this kind of sucks. You can kind of see where I go. And then I figured out I could turn it off. So I do, unless I'm going hunting, then I turn it on if I'm going to hunt. That way she knew, or out of state at least, not, not at home. But if I'm going somewhere where I'm going to be gone or away, then I turn it on so she can at least kind of know, know where I'm at. And I don't have to check in nearly as often. So <laughs> but good Lord, man. Oh. I know when I was a kid growing up, it was, you know, I mean, I used to just take off with buddies of mine and go to different States and go to concerts and I would be gone two days and come home. My dad worked night shift and I'd show up at home. He'd be like, Hey, where you been? I'm like, Oh, I went to Ohio for a concert and slept in the car along the road. He's like, concert. Good. I was like, yep. He's like, did you go to school? I was like, Missed two days, but I went today. He's like, all right, cool. Like, as long as my grades were good, he was, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't bat an eye, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, man, I want to get into some, uh, I want to get into some deer hunting with you here at first. I have a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about today because we haven't haven't had a chance to catch up for a while. But first I want to cover off on your, at least your Alabama deer season. Cause I was, okay. I was Instagram stalking you and I follow you during the course of the year and stuff like that. And I know you, you killed, correct me if I'm wrong, but you killed a good buck that went down to the wire, right? Oh yeah. That was like very last hour of like close to very last hour, of very, very last day. And I, and you mentioned in that Instagram post that you've only hunted one Alabama deer harder than this one. And right. I was kind of surprised by that because you're a, you're a dude that's just like a grinder. Like you, you get after it. You know what I mean? And for a deer to kind of, and, and, and I mean, I hold you in pretty high esteem as far as like your hunting capabilities, like you're a good hunter, like you're one of the better hunters I know. And the fact that this deer was a hard deer to kill, what made him, what made him so challenging? Cause whenever you say something like that, I'm like, dude, I would have had no shot. Well, so I, I think, I think the reason is just the, the Southern deer are so nocturnal mm-hmm. that you only have like, windows a year to kill them uh consistently you can always look up of course right but so so you can kill them like the first two or three weeks of the season up until like the first of november and then you can kill them like the last part of january first part of february during the the peak rut (laughs) and especially later in the rut uh when these bucks have you know bred a bunch of these does and there's not as many hot ones so, but, but this, the, you know, they're so nocturnal, it's very difficult to, to pattern them. Uh, and there's so many deer and so many does 
that during the rut, they're just going different directions. And we have so much food and the way these deer eat, it's not like in the Midwest where they're going to a crop, back to cover, to a crop, back to cover. Mm-hmm. Ours is a diverse, you know, uh, type of habitat and diverse food. So they're just constantly browsing and picking. And so these deer, you know, they may feed and browse in the you know early season one direction all day and then just bed up somewhere and then they may feed a different direction and through a different habitat or different area the next day in bed so it, it may just be this big circuit hmm. um so it's not like they're coming to a same the same thing every day uh like more of the midwest deer i mean the right. midwest deer are so freaking easy to kill you know early season if you've got them daylighting i mean they're pretty much fried chicken right and then during the rut it's you get to see a lot of big deer but they're they're still kind of hard to kill in the midwest because it's just so random where they're going to go right especially if there's a specific one you're trying to kill because it's like who the hell knows where he can end up on any given day because he's going to end up on a doe yeah and there's no way you can pinpoint that doe so these southern deer just they're just five ten times harder to kill the midwest deer uh just because of how they are and how they feed and and then the and the rut hunting you throw in the population it just makes it 10 times harder so this deer he wasn't he didn't show up uh early season okay and so pre pre-season uh when i was checking my cameras man we had some of the best deer we've had in years <laughs> and and i had a couple of really good deer pinpointed and um uh, opening weekend to both season, I killed a really nice buck, um, you know, the first weekend. Mm-hmm. And I went to Oklahoma, I guess, around the 5th of November and stayed out there till about the 20th, I guess, or maybe a little longer. And while I was gone, uh, this deer and another deer showed up um, that we had not seen. And, and, but this particular deer that I killed the last week, we had never seen this deer. And, uh, it's just, it was just a, a, a freak, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, anyway, I picked him up all, it was in a certain, you know, area of the property, but I picked him up all over the place. I would get a hit here one week and then a hit, you know, a quarter mile, half a mile away the next week. And then, so finally, when it got to the very end of the season, I just said, okay, I've, I've got to triangulate all this. <laughs> He's 100% living in this 50 acre clear cut now to where before he was moving around. Now he's 100% focused in this 50 acre clear cut. And I believe, you know, later in the season, it pushes them tighter where they don't move as much from the pressure. Mm-hmm. So I knew he was there and I just said, okay, I've got three places to hunt him around this thing and i've got to get really really lucky and just hunt each of those three when the conditions are perfect and just you know try to get lucky and and i thought i had him um i thought i had him once he came he came right up behind me on a doe the wind was perfect he was 25 yards straight behind me I probably could have turned around and killed him, but the doe came right under me and just kept going and, you know, right past me in front of me. So I just stayed still and thought he would come through and he just got that feeling, you know? Yeah. 
and he just turned around and just went right back the way he came. And I never saw him there. Hmm. I mean, he literally vanished from there. But what it did is it eliminated one of the three <laughs> locations, right? <laughs> you know, which yeah. which I was pissed at the at, you know when it happened, but knowing now that it was probably a blessing that I bumped him there if I wasn't going to kill him. And so the last day, I just said he's 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 got to be he's got to be in this one of the two last places, and I'm just going to commit to it the last four or five days, and I did. Hmm. And I had multiple stands set up in a 300 yard circle hmm. just to, you know, get different wind angles and just to make sure I didn't booger him. And finally that last, uh, that last morning, you know, last morning of the season, he came through on a doe and, you know, went right under me, just blowing and going on her. And I was literally was screaming at the top of my lungs. There was deer all around me. And he finally, you know, that he finally stopped. And when he did, he, he did not look at me. He was looking at these other deer, but my screaming finally stopped him. And, you know, I made a good shot on him. And nice. I just, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it, you know, to push one, I've never pushed one to the last day. Really? Okay. No. Yeah. No. Not in Alabama, but, um, right. But yeah. I, was, I, I've only ever pushed one. Now, it wasn't the last day of the season. It was when I was in Iowa and I, I think I told you this story, but I missed, I missed a a big one, two different times and had four different encounters with that stupid thing. And then literally on the last day of the hunt at, I think I shot, I think I shot him at like, I want to say three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon. So I had about an hour, maybe roughly an hour of daylight left on the last day of the hunt of a 16 day hunt, finally killed him. So that was the closest I've ever, I've ever pushed it. But what yeah, so I heard you mention clear cut. So was this kind of like a timbered area? What was the uh, habitat yeah. like? Yeah. So um, there were th- two years ago, there was uh, two little uh, 40, 50 acre sections uh, that had big mature pines on them. And they were starting to get to the point to where they were so big and so mature that if you waited, you had, you, you start running the the risk of tornadoes hitting them or, or uh, bugs getting in them. And it's just, you know, so those two little 40, 50 acre sections were cut and then they were replanted. And so, you know, the pines are two years old, they're head high. Mm -hmm. And that is the single best cover food, sanctuary, everything for a deer. They love those two and three year old clear cuts because it still has tons of sun that can get in and generate all that briar and browse that they love. And then, um, just tons of cover. There's just, just, yeah. just solid briars, brush and thicket. And, you know, they just, they absolutely love it. Right. And that's, that's where they live. It sounds like too, when you were mentioning that they just have so much, food. it sounds like there's food just in general in that area, like browse all over us, even aside from the cut. Is that, is that right? Oh yeah. It's yeah. everywhere. I mean, you gotta think about it. I mean, our growing season is so long. Yeah. These deer can just browse, and even in the winter time, it's still so much green uh, in those clear cuts. They just live in there. It's hard to get them out of there. Right. But when there's no trees in there, you know, when it's all you know six feet tall, mm-hmm. there's re- and it's you know six foot visibility as well. It's almost impossible to bow hunt in there. Yeah, you almost you're forced to just hunt the edges. Essentially, that's right. You know, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because like I'm having a similar situation in this piece of big wood that I've been kind of uh, monkeying around. Well, I started last year. I scouted it 
ran some cameras, learned a little bit about it. I think I hunted it two days, still hunted it um, a day in late season and learned a lot more because I could, you know, kind of pick up all the sign that the deer had laid down during, you know, pre-rut and rut. And then went back and scouted it this off season, finally starting to put some puzzle pieces together. But that's the biggest kind of one of the biggest challenges I have there is that there's some good clear cuts in and around that area. And so in the summer I get awesome velvet, like inventory pictures. Like I'll know like what bucks are around and there's some really good ones. And then they'll shift, you know, right around the middle of September or beginning of September to the middle of September. And then from there it becomes really, really hard because there's no ag around. So there's not like a, a destination food source. It's like pulling them in a certain direction. And there aren't a lot of, there are some red oaks in, in, in a couple of different areas, but there's really not a lot of white oaks. And what I've learned is that I've learned this from a guy who lives up there is that they, what they really like or what they'll really kind of munch on is like these beech nut pods. And whenever I scout through, I mean, there's so much beach in that area. It's just littered with, with beech nut pods like everywhere. So they've got as much food as they want to eat while they're walking anywhere. And so trying to pinpoint or figure out where they're going to be on a given day is like throwing a dart at a dartboard, essentially. And actually, you might be more accurate with throwing a dart at a dartboard because there's just food everywhere. I think it's almost one of the most challenging things is when deer have food literally everywhere. That's one of the, in my opinion, is like one of the hardest types of places to hunt. I mean, would you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, when you have the combination of, of food and cover, it's a dream for a whitetail. Mm-hmm. You know, and as long as you understand that, it's also a dream for a person that's hunting the same place over and over. Mm. If you have places like that, that that are, you know, food and cover combos, you're going to hold a lot more deer mm-hmm. and you're going to have a lot better opportunity to have a big deer on your place every year. Right. Um, the places that are great, big agricultural food sources with big timber, those are seasonal. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're going to be good. just like a certain time and it's going to be it's going to be iffy to whether that's going to coincide with them daylight so uh even like even the stuff we hunt in the midwest our stuff is more thick native grasses plum thickets uh just big briary bushy cover mm-hmm. um, but now i hunt everything from the ground out there but right but but they're i'm hunting them where they're living and feeding all in the same type of deal on the same place knives machetes saws and shears multi-tools shovels swords axes spears hatchets and tomahawks if it cuts snips slices or chops midway usa has it find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top of the line hunting knives we've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners too for just about everything for the outdoors check out midwayusa.com. So, so you mentioned that this one was there, there was only one other deer harder than this one to kill. Yep. And so I was, so that made me curious where I was like, all right, well, if this one was, you know, a, a bitch to kill and there was one that was harder, I, ha- I was like, I have to ask about the one that got away. What, what was the deal with that one? Oh gosh. So, um, the one that got away was not only the hardest deer I think I ever hunted, but it was also the longest I ever hunted one. Hmm. So uh, this deer showed up one year. He was probably four years old, and he was a 140-inch six-point. Goodness, and this, man, 140-inch six-point. That's a, that's a mega freak. This thing's a freak. 
he's a freak. He's still a freak. I mean, he's just a freak. So, um, I hunted that deer all year and he was living off the property on, on a neighboring property that was, that was hunted is hunted. He was living there and he was, he was living in, I guess one little patch of, you know, old clear cut, like a, like we talked about earlier, maybe 300 yards south of our property. And he would get up every day and he would come straight north towards us. And he'd either be on an east trail or a west trail. And then he would come into our area, which was a very old pecan orchard that had grown up really thick, brushy, browsy, you know, honeysuckle and briar, just what they love. Mm And so I had this, I set up on this deer and I had a stand on the north. I mean, I'm sorry, on the east and the west trail. And I actually had two set up on each one so I could hunt different winds. And really the only thing I couldn't hunt him on was a straight north. Hmm. Uh, And so, because I like hunting parallel winds more than hunting straight up wind, straight down wind. I like being parallel to them with a slight angle. Right. So two quick, Um, two quick questions. Is this Alabama or, or? Oh, this is Alabama. This is is Alabama. All right. Yeah. Cool. So, um, so this is the honest truth. I hunted that deer for four seasons. And when he got killed, he was eight or nine years old. Uh, he scored 142. Um, and that deer, when I was on the East trail, he came down the West Trail. Hmm. When I was on the West Trail, he came down the East Trail. And these trails are 150 yards apart. Hmm. So I saw this deer more than I've ever seen a deer in my life. And um, and I actually shot the deer one time two years ago, uh, the same year he died. Um, he came, literally came through right at daylight going back to the other property. While the neighbors were parked 150 yards from me in six side by sides with dogs and shotguns, and they were shooting wood ducks at daylight. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the stand thinking, shit, this is just a burned morning. Right. Uh, and these guys literally, they may do, might do this two times a year. So it never was an issue. Right. It just happened to be the day that you, <laughs> you were going to be there. Yeah. And so I'm just sitting there going, oh, well, you know, a wood duck hunt lasts 30, 45 minutes. They'll clean up. They'll be gone. It's a good cold morning. I'll just wait it out. I'm not going to get down and go somewhere else. So I just got my book out, was sitting there reading, and they started just banging away. I mean, they were pounding them. And I just happened to look like under the stand, and there's a spike down there, like just browsing around right under my stand and he's not even looking at these guys 150 yards away you know across the line i mean he's not even paying attention hmm. i'm like dang this this deer's not even bothered but he's a spike so i just happened to look up through the pecan orchard and here comes this big joker on the trail not only walking straight to me he was walking straight to these guys shooting shotguns <laughs> and i'm not talking about one or two shots i'm talking about like 40 or 50 shots right. I mean, they were because a you know a wood duck shoots a flurry, right? And um, and I just I was not prepared, and uh, I I got up, and he came right by me at twenty five yards. It was still like hazy daylight, real mm-hmm. foggy, and I shot, and 
you know, hit right where I wanted to hit, but I got no penetration at all. <laughs> Could not figure out what happened. And um, the deer ran out 75 yards, but he just dropped. And I went, holy crap, I got him. <laughs> and I looked, his head was down, everything. And so, um, so I said, well, hell, I'm just going to sit here until these guys get through duck hunting and then them leave and then I'll go over there. So I just sat back down. Well, I looked back over and his head was up and he's turning around. And when the guys started hollering and yelling and yelling at their dogs and turning their ATVs on, he got up and just walked off. And I went over there and the arrow was just laying in the, you know, lay, he pulled it out with his teeth. And so I went back and I had literally shot through a two inch sapling. Oh, geez. And it went maybe an inch and a half sapling, but it was like a little, I can't remember what kind of little tree. It was like a little ash tree. Right. And it just, it went, the blade must have hit perfect. It split it just right down the middle, went right through it. It barely stuck in the deer. And so the fletchings were gone. And I looked and the fletchings were, you know, back right at the base of that little sapling. So obviously it must have gone through the sapling, gone into him a little ways. And then when he took off, it must have pulled the shaft out. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was fine. Man. And so a few weeks later, the last last weekend of the season, I have a really good friend of mine. He had not killed a deer that year. And I said, listen, this deer is going to come down one of these trails. Yeah, I'm going to see him, but he's going to this big green field. Just sit there. And if he gets by me today, just shoot because he's a gun hunter. Right. I said, there's no way this deer is ever going to live another year. You know, I mean, there's just, he's not living on us and it's been four years. Right. And so sure enough, I sat on the West, he came by the East and you know, five minutes later, the gun went off and that was it. So I have to, the bad thing is I have to look at this SOB every day because <laughs> he's, he's in our lodge over the fireplace. Oh, so I have to look at him every single weekend, but no, he was 142 as a six point. Nice. That's a hammer, dude. I had a two similar stories. There was a deer, uh, several years ago that was on my father-in-law's property that I was hunting. Like I, he was only deer there aren't, aren't super big, but he was, you know, one of the only deer that made it to four and a half. And I noticed him kind of as a three and a half year old. He just kind of had a funky rack, big, weird looking seven point. And I finally had figured out he was similar to you. He was bedding and living on the neighbor, but he would daylight all during the summer on, on my father-in-law's property. And then as soon as fall would roll around, he would disappear but he would, he would show back up like, mm, like mid-ish October, like around the 20th, let's say. Right. But it was always, always at night. And so I knew if I wanted to kill him, it was going to have to be like that first week of October, like right before he decides to kind of like just completely abandon the property. Like he was going to, like, I would, I was going to basically have that like first couple days of the season to potentially kill him. And I finally figured out what he was doing. Cause the season before I had three different encounters with him in late season headed to this one food source. And so I'd finally figured out kind of how he was getting there. And so I set up on him that opening day, got a good cold front, came in that opening Saturday, set up on him, saw him at 25 yards, but he had uh, two other bucks with him. And a youngster got up underneath me and winded me and just turned around and walked away. And that was the last time I ever saw him. My good buddy, the old, the, actually the old timer who got me into bow hunting is actually the guy who killed him during rifle season. So similar story where he called me and sends me a text and it's like the deer I've been chasing for like two years. Um, which was not great, but I had a similar kind of deflection when I was in Missouri. I hit a, hit a, uh, hit a small branch or hit a twig that I didn't see like in the gray light. And, uh, 
And it just, when I looked back at the video, it literally, when my arrow hit him, it hit him almost sideways. Like it slapped him and yep. he took off running and, uh, I barely got any penetration. Like he broke the, he broke the, the arrow off at right behind the broadhead and yep. just never, never found him. I mean, I'm sure that deer lived, but, um, man, it's just, there's little things, man. You know, I, I thought I was going to fill my Missouri tag on that one and just the smallest of branches that in a hundred tries, I could have never hit that little twig again in my life. You know what I mean? Well, you know, like the same guy that shot the same guy that shot the deer uh, that, you know, I put on that green field and he shot, he, he did not want to do it. He's like, I, there's no way I'm shooting this deer. You've hunted this deer so hard. And I said, listen, it's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that the deer's done. He, if I could hunt the other property, I would have killed him four years ago. He mm-hmm. literally comes out in the same spot and he either goes forks left or forks right. And it's just been, I have guessed wrong for four years. I, I, I mean, I saw this deer 50 times in four years. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, but anyway, so this season, uh, like I said earlier, we had so many, we had better, more, better, more bigger deer than we've ever had in Alabama. And so we got, you know, I started hunting this, this second deer I was hunting when, when he showed up. Mm-hmm. Well, in this same area, there were two other just fantastic deer. And I had both of them within bow range. And, but I've learned if you're going to kill, kill great deer, you can't shoot good deer. Yeah. And, uh, so my, my old buddy there, I said, listen, here's where these deer are going. And they're going to go come out in the corner of this soybean field. I set him up there and said, listen, just I'll text you. And you know, if I, if I see one of them, but if not, you know what they look like. And he says, well, buddy, if that big one you're hunting comes out, I'm not going to shoot it. And I said, absolutely not. You shoot it if you want to shoot it. I don't care. I, it, it's a deer. You know, right. don't, you know, he's like, I'm not doing it. I am not going to shoot that big deer because I wouldn't even be over here if you wouldn't have told me, you know. Right. So anyway, one afternoon I'm sitting in there and this incredible nine point that I've really struggled not shooting. It was probably a mid 140s deer, which is big for Alabama. Yeah. Um, he came right under me and then this big deer came out and pushed him off, but he was out of range and they both went out towards the corner. And a little while later, I heard the gun go off. I thought, well, that's it. That big one's got to be dead. But obviously he didn't go out that big one. Yeah. And so my buddy killed that one. Well, the very next weekend I was hunting the same area and this other big deer that was showing up in there showed up twice and I hunted hunted thursday and friday he showed up thursday and friday and so when my buddy got there friday night i said listen tomorrow afternoon let's go back i want you to go back to the same spot because that other big nine point is coming out and he said man i can't i I can't do that i said why not just so he sat up there and sure enough that deer came right by me i texted him said here he comes and sure enough like 30 minutes later boom it killed the two biggest deer he's ever killed you know so <laughs> so this guy loves that i'm a obsessive hunter you know over specific deer because i'm finding these other big deer and they're like just saying hey you know here's where they are right he's got it made in shape yeah i know right it's like we all we all need a buddy like that <laughs> yeah and i said i said don't you want to try to kill one with a bow and he said look he calls me little buddy he says listen little buddy 
some people are meant to be bow hunters and some people are not. Right. I'm not. Right. And I know I know my role and I know my lane. I stand in my lane and and I am happy to kill a deer with a gun. I'm not to that point in my life. So you just you do your thing, I'll do my like ten four. Right. Because I always want to get him a big one with his bow, but he, he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, that's funny, man. I mean, at least, you know, it's always not like look, if someone kills a deer that I've been hunting, like more more power to him. They figured him out before before I did most, most cases, right. You know, they figured it out, fi- figured him out before I did in the case of the one that my, my buddy killed. If I were going to have, if someone were going to kill that deer and it wasn't going to be me, I'd prefer it to be, I would have preferred it to be him. Cause he's just selflessly passed knowledge onto me and spent time with me, you know, teaching me, you know, the ins and outs of bow hunting and listening to me whenever I was a noob, just be obsessive about it, knowing that I'm just jabbering at the, at the gums, you know what I mean? So, yeah. You know, he put up with all of that. So I was happy that he, it was funny because he texted me right after and he said, um, his first thing was like, I'm, he, the first thing he texted me was, I'm sorry. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And he told me what deer, what deer he killed. He's like, I didn't even know it was him. He was like, I just saw a good, a good frame and I knew it was a, a shooter buck. He was like, so I, you know, I pulled up the gun and I shot him. He's like, and I didn't realize which deer it was until I walked up on it. I didn't know which deer specifically it was until I walked up on it. He's like, and I just felt bad. And I was like, dude, you don't have to feel bad, man. I was like, you killed a good buck. Like I'm happy for you. You should be happy. You know, it's like, it's, I didn't have a, I didn't have the rights to that deer, you know? Well, it's, it feels, it feels, I mean, it's awesome when, if you ever get to the point in your life where you can be truly happy in the success of others, mm-hmm. you've got it lit. Yeah. You have got it lit. Yeah. And I, that this guy that's killed this, these deer, he is the most selfless person you've ever met. The nicest guy. And all my partners in the Alabama deal, they're just, they're all that way. They're yeah. just good men. They're generous with their time. They're just, they're very selfless men. And me, I am an obsessive person when it comes to trying to kill a big deer with a bow. So part of my strategy has to be making sure that these guys, kill some big deer and they're happy. And if I can get them tagged out and the hell out of the way, right. <laughs> with two or three weeks to go, I'm in the chips. Right. Cause then right. I don't have to, you know, put anybody out or, you know, yeah. I know I'm not trying to sound like a, an ass. I'm just, it's a realistic thing. If I put as much work into making sure they're happy and they're, they're killing big deer. Mm-hmm. Once they're gone, I've got it to myself. Yeah. And that's what it takes to, you know to consistently kill big deer to be able to minimize pressure yeah yeah well if you're the only cat around it's it's a pretty good gig yeah yeah and you're 100 percent right man I, I mean i always talk with you know all my other friends about you know having the right hunting partners and hunting buddies is critical to good hunting like whether you're you know whether you all share a place or whether you travel together or whatever the case is if you're with people who aren't in it as much for you as they are for themselves, you're not going to have a good time and it's just not going to, it's not going to be good, you know? No. Uh, and that's, you well, you know, know, uh, you know, like, so you, you know about our place we have in Oklahoma. It, yeah. It's pretty special. Yep. And you've seen some of the deer that we've pulled out of there and, and I've got some of the same partners on that deals I do with Alabama and I've got two, maybe th- I think two of the four guys, in six or seven years of hunting with me out there i've hunted there for 20 years um but i brought some guys in with me about five or six years ago but two of these guys have never killed a buck on that place really 
Yes. And I know that is hard to believe, but it's just, you know, they, they are not going to go ground hunt them. They're just going to sit in the stands and it's just a low percentage deal. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this year I said, I am going to be selfless. I'm not going to kill a deer until these guys have killed a deer. I'm going to hunt with them. I'm going to dedicate this year others. And so, um, and I did, and I did it. I'm not going to do it again, <laughs> but I, but I did do it. <laughs> and the first, so the first week I had Jake Downs that you just had on yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Love Jake. I do too. Uh, he's a lot of fun to be around because we give each other crap back and forth. It's really great. Yeah. And then I had Tim Burnett, uh, there with us. Okay. Uh, that does solo hunter. Yep. And he is, you talk about somebody that's going to give you shit 24 seven. He, <laughs> he is, he's so much fun to, to hunt with just cause it's so much back and forth, but, right. but I did not pick up my bow the entire first week. And Jake can attest to this. I literally never touched my bow. And all I did was go glassing and scouting, trying to turn up bucks for these guys. And I did, I was, literally turning up bucks every day the, the very first so jake hunted two days and he had a really good opportunity i can't remember what happened and then the then i got there the third after he had hunted two days the first morning i turned up 170 inch deer Oof. and he was bedded in a kill hole and it was hard for me not to walk back to my truck and grab my butt I and bet, go yeah, kill him. for sure but i but uh, Shane that works for me, the videographer, he was hunting with Jake. And so I called them and said, I have got a good deer over here. And I mean, literally the first day I was there, Jake and Shane walked into 15 yards of this buck. Man. Yeah. And he just, it, the buck just got out of there before he could get a shot on him. Anyway, Jake had a really good trip, had a lot of opportunities. Tim had a lot of opportunities. And then there was one more guy hunting with us too. I forgot. So those guys hunted all week so they were going to hunt that morning and then leave at noon and then my other two partners were going to come in uh at noon that saturday mm -hmm. so oh no this is wrong this is wrong they were all they nobody was going to hunt that morning they were supposed to but jay could kill one tim had shot once so they were leaving so they were packing up and i said okay i'm gonna go hunt this one morning by myself and then I'm going to go back to working with these other guys when they come in at noon. And Clint, I swear to you, at 6.30, I had killed this buck that, I don't know how old this deer was, but me and the neighbor both, Tyrell, that, li that lives across the river, we had seen this deer for four or five years. Hmm. And he was an absolute brute. Um, just mainframe eight, split brows like legit coke can bases hmm. that mass all the way to the end of the beans just an absolute ogre and i shot this thing at literally like 6 30 mm -hmm. and he, he, li he literally ran i don't I, I never say didn't go 20 i think that's goofy but right. he, he, he literally went about that far and then just fell over dead right under me and 10 minutes later that 170 inch deer that I had spotted that first day for Jake 
came right down the ridge where I was sitting and turned broadside at 20 yards. I mean, frost coming out of his nose and he could smell that buck I shot. And he was standing, I don't know, 15, 17 yards to my left, broadside, looking downhill, snort wheezing. Oh, man. Because he smelled that buck down there, but he couldn't see him. Right. And there were deer running everywhere around us. But he stood there, frozen broadside, just basically looking away from me at that range for, I don't know, five, six minutes. Jeez. And I'm sitting there looking at him. I've got an arrow knocked. I started to draw twice because you can, you can kill two bucks in Oklahoma and you can mm-hmm. kill them both the same morning. Oh, nice. Dude, that would have been a banner morning. Jeez. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, if these guys have hunted all week and <laughs> struggled the way they did, and if my guys that are coming in before they even get to hunt and I've knocked two giants down before seven o'clock <laughs> the morning that they're, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting there going, these guys are going to kill me. Right. And so I was like, no, I'm going to make sure that one of these guys kills this deer. And we have all of this on film. Shane and I spent the next week with these other guys. And we stayed on that 170 inch deer the entire week. I mean, he traveled. I mean, we'd pick him up a mile, mile and a half away. I mean, he was all over the place, but we would, we'd find him. But we crawled these guys in on this deer. I don't know how many times. And they kept stepping on their pecker and blowing it. Mm-hmm. To the point to where, I, I mean, literally, I was slinging cameras, like, <laughs> about snatched one guy's bow out of his hand and ground tuned it. I was getting so mad because they wouldn't shoot. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and they never killed the deer. Are you serious? Never killed him. Nope, he was still there after season. And uh, But that's how I spent that the second week of Oklahoma this year. Well, man, and if he I made said, it, okay. he's going to be a mega freak this year. Oh, oh, dude, what's so bad is, is he was probably only four this year. Yeah. I mean, he was a toad. Um, yeah. And we had two other really good ones, too. Yeah. But I mean, that's, anyway, a, that's a hammer buck. But this year, man, if he makes a little bit of a jump, you're talking like legit world-class animal. Yeah, so we normally have, every two years, we'll have a buck that's, you know, 180 plus. Right. Um, and, um, uh you know, we've had, you know, one nineties come off of it. We've never cracked that magical two number. Right. Um, but, and you're, and we don't have them every year, but yeah. every couple of years, there's always a one eighty plus, sometimes a one ninety. Um, it's just, a, a you know, a magical area. Yeah. And, uh, but no, I was self, I was definitely committed to being selfless and trying to help others. Right now. That, that, I thought I would feel good about myself going home and i was miserable the whole way home because that deer got away <laughs> right right back so i'm obviously not a very good person <laughs> right yeah well I, I think i think you did about all you could do like you know it, it, I, I would <laughs> say it's not not your fault at that point um so the the deer you killed was that i'm assuming was from the ground right no it, it actually wasn't okay but, um but it was it was it was super easy to kill this deer and kind of know where these deer were going to be because I'd been hunting across the river and I was watching to where these deer were, 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 you know, dropping down into the riverbank and crossing the river headed North. Mm-hmm. You know, we have stuff on both sides of the river. And so I knew these deer were bailing through there. And these guys that were 
sitting in these dadgum tree stands all week along the river. They kept telling me, you know, one guy would say, oh, I kept seeing these deer north of me. Another guy kept saying, I kept seeing all these deer south of me. And I was like, oh, well, I know where they're going. I know what they're doing. They're, you know, dodging y'all. So I just Mm -hmm. slipped in that morning, you know, before daylight, just climbed up this. It's like a mock orange tree or some kind of thing like that with a bunch of limbs. And just got up there and hung a little lock on. And, oh, my God, I mean, I shot the first buck at, I don't know, 10 yards. I had bucks all over me. I had both those shooters on me. But I just basically was listening to what they were saying and just put it all together and just said, I'll just, they've got to be, that's only one place they could be. Right, yeah, they got to be in the middle so these somewhere. guys will set up a stand and they'll sit in those stands all week. Yeah. They won't move. Yeah, that was the that was the one thing. I mean, you and I talked about it a little bit before I went, and then I think we even talked about it after I got back. Was just my trip to Kansas and hunting from the ground. You know, I think I was in a tree. I think two different days um, on that on that trip, just because there was one to get into that was where I I wanted to be. Um, because I had had a visual on a good buck like the night before and knew that he was probably going to try to come through there with the doe that he was with, and so I and it didn't work. Um, but it's just the ground hunting is just a whole, like, I don't know. I, I kind of fell in love with it. Like that's all I want to do now <laughs> is hunt from the ground. Um, just because of how, I mean, when you need to make a change or you need to make a decision, like you can just pick up and go like, and that's, that's what I liked about it. And, and just doing as much glass and as you do out in those kind of areas where you really try to work on a visual and then make a move. Like it just, I don't know. I, I just really liked it. And I wasn't hundred percent sure how much I would like it, uh, before we went out. And then after about two or three days of the first two or three days, I was like, okay, yeah, I like this. I, I can see the de- deer visualize the deer and go, I think this is what he's going to do. And then when it works out, it, you know, it blows your mind. So I didn't fill my tag, but the part that blew me away was glassed one up on like this kind of knob, you know, or up on this, like, I don't even call them like ridges. Cause they're not really ridges in this area, but a piece of high country in this area. Um, and there's a river bottom at the bottom and glass this buck in that it was, I think a winter wheat field that was kind of up on top and he was working his way. He, you know, we saw a doe kind of duck into the timber at the bottom. And so we you know, knew that he was chasing her and saw like where this draw kind of led into, into that, uh, into that Creek bottom and was like, man, I bet he's going to come through close to that draw. And so literally just took off running like a, like a bat out of hell through the woods as fast as I could to get to where I thought I could intercept him. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, there's no way in hell this is going to work. I'm never going to see that deer. And wouldn't you know it, like literally five minutes later, that buck came by. Like, <laughs> and it blew my mind because I was like, I've seen guys like, you know, the guys from Whitetail Adrenaline do stuff like that. And I was like, man, I was like, that's, I was like, I don't think I could get that to work. And sure enough, you know, I got within 20 yards of him, couldn't get a shot, but got within 20 yards. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I just Cherokeed a deer. I was like, this is, and now it's like, that's all I want to do is, is hunt that style and hunt that type of terrain. Well, if you're, you know, if you're going to hunt, there's nothing wrong with hunting out of a tree stand. You're certainly, you have better odds to kill. Yeah. Execute a good shot and be more lethal out of a tree stand. But a lot of times if I do start in a tree stand and really where I killed that buck and had the opportunity to kill the other one, I've been in that tree before. And the reason is, is it's up on top of this big ridge. When I say ridge, it may be 20 feet higher. Right. But it's on top of this ridge on a fence line, and it's right on the edge of the river. But I can see, you know, 800 acres, Mm -hmm. 1,000 acres to my northeast and west uh, out in the prairie. 
And so I can watch these bucks. Um, I can watch these bucks do their thing and watch them bed. And it's almost like an observation point, but you're also, you have a really good hunting spot too. Right. So you're kind of, you're kind of like exponentially upping your odds. You're in a place where you could kill a really good deer, but you're also watching for somewhere to set up an ambush, you know, to go stalk on a, on a bedded buck that's locked down with the doe. And Mm -hmm. so when you, you know, I could have dropped down and got in 10 or 12 better trees, you know, easier to get into and easier to shoot out of, but they would have been down in the river and I'd have never been able to see all the, the grass. Right. And I just don't do that. I never get, I never put myself in a position to where I feel like I'm blind or just stuck to that one location out there. It's always an observation point with an opportunity to possibly shoot something out of the tree. Right. And, but I'd much rather crawl on those deer um, and slip in on them. And man, certain times of year, they're so aggressive mm-hmm. that, you know, if they, if they think you're another deer, it's actually dangerous. Yeah. Because those bucks will come in and charge towards you. And, um, but oh, gosh, man, when you, when you've done it so much and you know, like, what an air what an arrow will go through like grass it just it'll zip right through grass mm-hmm. especially if you know if you're i don't know if there's a foot of grass in front you know just the tips of the grass in front of a deer that's mm-hmm. nothing right and you know when you have a 170 inch deer broadside staring at you at 20 25 yards and you're basically screaming shoot mm-hmm. and you've and you had the talk with them before you went <laughs> out there and said, listen, if you hear me say shoot, your job is not to think. Right. If, if, if you blow this deal and when we're walking back to the truck, you say the words, I thought I'm going to kneecap. It. Right. <laughs> if, I'm not going to tell you to shoot if it's not a good shot. Right. Right. And they just would not shoot. I'm screaming at them to shoot. They just won't shoot. Right. You know, so. So I'm curious because you've, I mean, I've hunted the, the plains in that open country one time and, and loved it and I know you you've hunted it a ton. And so I'm just curious, what's your, what's your favorite time of year to hunt that type of, that type of terrain? Cause I've, I've talked to well, some, some guys are like, they love the rut because anything can happen. And I think to, a little bit to your point is that they kind of lose themselves because if you are hunting from the ground, like, you know, I blew an opportunity because I was, if I were in a tree, there was one deer I would have certainly killed. There was no trees to get into 15 yards. I didn't have a shot. It, it, it was what it was. Um, you know, so, but you can get away with a little bit more maybe during the rut because they're not thinking 100% correctly. But I've also, you know, talked to some guys that, man, they really love to hunt that early season because if you can sit back and you can glass and you can get a good buck and you can see him go to bed to food once or twice, like one, you know, one or two days in a row, it's like that third day, man, should be a dead deer. You know, if you got to watch him two days in a row. So I'm just curious what, you know, what time of season or what time of year you really like to hunt that open country. I like to hunt at peak rut. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to tree stand hunt, ground blind hunt, ambush hunt, you know, if you're, if you're going to hunt them on a travel corridor to and from food and bed, just the simple stuff. Early season is any season other than the ruts better mm-hmm. because during the rut, it's literally, they are dogging does that don't want to be dogged. And these deer are just running willy nilly. And you just can't, you can't, sit in one spot and have a higher chance, higher odds of killing them. Right. 
you, you just it's it's hard but during the rut what happens is these deer are so active and they're moving so much and if you can position yourself to where you can see so much area it's easy to pick up a good mature deer because there's so many deer moving mm-hmm. and if there is a hot doe man it's it's a home run at that point because if you can just keep out of her line of sight you almost can't spook the buck away right it's almost impossible because he's focused on her yeah you know so i mean it's uh and normally his antlers give them away their their position so yeah uh, now i like i like just crazy wide open rut to hunt them uh, open ground and, and spot and stalk because we're, you know, we may look over 50 bucks a day or more. Mm. I mean, it's just, it could be more. I mean, yeah. there's just bucks everywhere, but you're also putting yourself in a position where you might be looking over a thousand acres at one sit, one sitting in every direction. If you've got a spot and scope, it's just, you know, every degree of the dial you move it, you're just seeing more deer moving at different ranges. They may be 200 or 2,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the one thing that was, you know, how uh, open the country is, but how quick deer disappear in that open country kind of blew me away, to be honest. Like, I would see a buck, and then all of a sudden he'd be, like, next to a Milo field, and he would hit the Milo, and be like, he wasn't there. Like, just just vanish, you know? Or he was in a CRP field, and I was watching him, and then all of a sudden there was, like, a small dip that was there that, I mean, the dip might only be two foot, and he got in it and just disappeared, and I never saw him again. You know, it's that's just like, what they do. And, and you know, the, the, the key to it is, is that like the more you hunt a certain area, the more, you know, the land mm-hmm. you'll learn about those little dips and bowls. Yeah. You, you, and you'll commit those to memory and know that these, these deer use that topography so well, they're so smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, a lot of times when I see a, a deer that we want to go after and I watch him drop off into a spot and never come out, if you know the country, you know he's in there. Yeah. If you don't know it, you don't know if there's not a blind exit you can't see. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't know. So knowing the terrain is super important, and it just takes time and yeah, you know, seasons under your belt to know a certain area. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is fun, man. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I I love it, man. I'm I'm I put in for Kansas again this year, so fingers crossed that I get it. I mean, I, I don't have a point this year, so it'll just be on the luck of the draw. Um, yeah, hopefully I get it. If not, I'm, de- you know, Kansas is going to be one of those places that I go back to every year. I can get a tag essentially. Um, I just liked it that much and the spot in stock and really kind of, uh, it spoke to me and I, and I just really enjoyed that, that approach. But, uh, I want to shift gears here, man. I want to talk a little okay. bit of, about, um, you as a filmmaker, Brian okay. Broderick, the filmmaker, like, so, man of many talents uh over the past i think roughly a year day six has put out a handful of films that in my opinion are some of the most well done and some of the best cinematography i think that you will find on a youtube hunting channel um it's just it's it's killer man so i guess the first question is is like when did you when did you get into the filmmaking bit and what kind of inspired that? Like what what made you decide like <laughs> hey I'm gonna start making films now? What what the hell? Why not? Well, uh, as you know I'm an old guy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was around when the first, you know, hunting films first came out. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a guy uh, at this hunting and fishing store that I hunted, I worked at when I was younger, high school, college, that, uh, that he uh, did a, you know, early whitetail VHS tape video, whitetail hunting video. Mm-hmm. And it was awful, um, as they all were back then. Yeah. But I was fascinated with that stuff. And he, when he left, he went to work for Mossy Oak, and he is still there. He's been there for, gosh, 30 years, I guess, wow. or longer. So anyway, long story short, I was just always fascinated with that stuff and always, you know, video, tried to video our hunts with the big giant over-the-shoulder VHS <laughs> video <laughs> cameras. It was just comical stuff. But I guess in 2012 or 13, uh, you know, uh, one of my buddies uh, down in Florida, Scott Crippen, he owns a company called White's Tackle. He and I were both into photography, and we had pretty nice, you know, uh, cameras, you know, digital cameras. Mm-hmm. and um we're, you know, taking great shots of like, we did a lot of fishing. We're doing a lot of fly fishing, you know, shots and taking pictures of the, you know, wildlife photography and all. Right. And we were playing around video. And, and so we decided that we were going to, and we were both traditional bow hunters. And so we decided we were going to do a few, few little films with some of the stuff that we had just accumulated mm-hmm. over the years. And so we had this little thing called Lost Arrow Films. And we did a film the 2000 i think it was the 2013 or 14 uh hunting the hunting film tour not the full draw film tour but the hunting film tour Mm -hmm. and this was back when it was first getting going and you know it was like sitka and yeti and all these big companies back in i think it was 2013 and we entered this film and uh our first film that we did, it was just traditional bow hunting. And then of course the guy called back, it's like, Hey, you guys were like fan favorite and all this kind of stuff. But we shot a lot of it, but we also hired a guy out of Sarasota to shoot it and edit it. Hmm. Um, cause we didn't know what we were doing the editing side. Right. And so, but we both, both worked very closely with him. And then since then I've always done just some of my own stuff. And then a couple of years ago, uh, uh, our neighbors uh, in Oklahoma, uh, their daughters married two young men, and I met them years ago. Um, one of them works at the ranch next door. And he's one of the best bow hunters, you know, best white tail hunters around. He's a young guy, and he's actually our first film we put out is about him. But his brother went straight out of high school, went straight into doing um, uh, videography work for a hunting show in Oklahoma. And then he started working with a group out of Texas and I just hit it off with them and we share notes and we've always shared, you know, trail cameras and mm-hmm. we're always kind of hunting the same deer because we're across the river from each other. Right. And, uh, so last, oh, I guess two years ago, uh, Shane, uh, Shane Roy that works for us, he reached out and said, Hey, I think I've, I've got, I'm going to make a change. Uh, would you, you know, be able to, would you have an opportunity, you know, for me to come work with you guys? And, I wasn't ready to do it at that point. I always wanted to do, you know, create some good content for our company. But mm-hmm. when he came available and I 
just knew him and his family so well. I thought, gosh, man, this is you. Fi- you find room for good people, you right. know. Right. Yep. And uh, so I brought him on, and and he and I started doing it. And um, he had not done as much um, editing as he had uh, film work, but his film work, you know, field work is excellent. Yeah. And I made the investment to get really good, really good equipment for us. Uh, which makes it easier to create some good, you know, good shots. And then he and I work together on the editing. And now I don't have, I don't, I literally, like when I get the, the rough cut, my notes will be two or three things to where when we first did it, it was, you know, a couple of pages. And mm-hmm. now it's just, he's, he's, he's just very talented. That's all there is to it. Right. And just does a great job. Yeah. And, uh, and we have a certain, feel and we have a certain way that we want to yeah. show it and we want to be very tasteful yeah and be and we want it to be almost uh almost the type of content that'll counter what the mainstream uh stuff is doing i was just it was so before we started the record we we, we talked about it we started talking about the films just a little bit because i've i've watched all of them essentially um and the thing that I noticed, you know, and I kind of wrote down as I was watching it, knowing that you and I were going to talk because I was, I was watching your latest one just this past week. Um, it was, I appreciated the, the approach that you take toward filmmaking, you know, with these hunts specifically, like the subtle voiceover, right? The, the purposeful kind of cinematography, Right. It's very like everything that you do in these films is super purposeful. It's it's not the typical YouTube and there's nothing wrong with the typical YouTube hunt film content. Right. Like people people dig it and it it is what it is. But what you guys are doing, like I was trying to think about it, you know, uh, maybe I was putting too much thought into it, (laughs) but I I was sitting there thinking about it and I was just like the way you kind of approach it with the very subtle voiceover and stuff like that is that all the focus is on the process is on the approach. And to me, that's the part where it's like the words don't get in the way. The words are only there to kind of illuminate certain kind of points. They just fill in the holes. Yeah. And that's the thing that like kind of really grabbed me because I I think the one time I text you back, because you sent me a text of one, you know, sent me a text of the video. And I said, I think that's the first video I've ever watched from start to finish that did not have a single word. And I forget what the title of that one is. I think it's called No Words or something like that. No Words, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I watched it from start to finish. And I was like, I don't know that I've ever watched a video from start to finish that did not have a voiceover. But the but cinema- you didn't miss anything. But you didn't miss anything that was happening. No, I you got understood the, whole- the story. Yeah, I, underst- yeah. I understood the story. And I actually just watched it again this past week because I wanted to go back and, and, and rewatch it. Um, knowing that you and I were going to check. Cause I was like, I recalled, I was like, I know there's a video that he did that has zero words in it. And I really liked it. And I went back and watched it. And it's like, it's the tasteful kind of bed music that you're using and, and the, the shots that you're using and the right moments when it goes to slow motion and stuff like that. Like all those things kind of make sense and help tell the story. And I just have a, an appreciation for how you're approaching it. Cause you're right. It is kind of the antithesis of like everything that's kind of in the hunting space now. But the funny thing is, is that it's almost it's I'm glad you kind of made the mention of like how you got into it, you know, and it makes more sense to me now that it was like, you know, way back in the day, almost when video kind of first started in the hunting industry, because I went back this past probably like two weeks and watched some stuff from uh, Barry Wenzel, like early, yep. early Barry, like the first stuff that he did. And yep. so, uh, so, uh, uh, there was uh, 
Is it, was it Stony Wolf Productions or Stony I think, Creek I think Productions? That, I think that's what it was. I think Creek. I think it was Stony Creek Productions. I believe so. And that was that was the Wenzels. That was uh, Paul Brunner. Yeah. Uh, which I've been friends with Paul Brunner for years. And uh, there was, uh, um, God, what was the other guy's name? Um, oh, man, I can't believe my, it was this whole group. But what was the other guy's name? He had a funny name. Uh, yeah. I, I, I th- their films were so... They were so good back then. Well, they, it was like the old Eastman stuff. Yeah. So like the the part was that like and it and it connected for me whenever you said that because I was like, that's how those videos were shot then because they didn't have this whole no one quite knew how to tell a hunting story yet. Like there that's was right. you know what I mean. So they were just kind of filming the hunt and showing you the process and then giving you voiceover to kind of fill in the gaps. Now the voiceover is terrible back in those days because it's like. Barry was sitting in a tree stand here and That's this right. buck came out. You know, it's like very it's you know, like the old Fred Bear, Fred Bear, Bear film. Yeah. Right, right. But what I appreciated about those was that like minus the weird voiceover narration guy, like the film kind of stood on its own. Like I didn't even need the narration. You know what I mean? Like I could kind of right. follow the hunt with it. And so when I saw when I saw that and then I rewatched some of the stuff that you had done the past year. And now that you mentioned that that was kind of like your introduction was like the, that kind of vintage initial hunting video stuff. It all comes full circle for me now. Only you're only you have a better camera eye and are doing some things that are more aesthetically pleasing. Well, I don't think, I don't know that I do. I know Shane has a good eye and um, I, I certainly don't want to take any credit for it, but right. you know, I, what I will say is that, um, I don't know if I'll take credit or blame, but uh, what I'll take responsibility for is the direction mm-hmm. and what I'm trying to do. And what I'm trying to do is balance the scale mm-hmm. um, because, quite frankly, I, I am almost to the point of heartbroken uh, over what's taken place uh, and what the hunting industry and the hunting community has become as far as with regards to how it represents itself. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it's, it's just devastating to me because it, you know, bow hunting and hunting in general just has always been the biggest thing, biggest focus in my life. And it's, you know, been the thing that's kept me, you know, on the right path, I feel like. And so it means so much to me that it literally breaks my heart to see how people are, showing it to others mm-hmm. because what they're showing is not what it is and the monetization of of hunting um is going to be it's the death of it. Mm-hmm. so and i'm just trying to balance the scale and like i never had any intentions of having any of these films with my I, i've never i've never had any intentions of myself being any of it. i've always sent shane out with others um and Shane and I hunt a lot together and I filmed him and he's filmed me. And so I have, you know, popped up in these, but like one of the things he, one of the first things that, that I did when we were doing like notes and, and all was he had credits and he had like our names on there. And I said, take that away. I don't, I don't care if, if somebody doesn't know who that is. I don't, I don't, this is not about like the ego. It's not about, us as individuals you know it's that's not what this is about which is the basically the same you know operating and 
founding principles of day six, it's not about us as individuals. It's mm-hmm. about helping others become more successful and trying to balance the scale the other way to show that every company in the quote outdoor industry doesn't have to sell at the cost of future of the future hunting. Right. Because the, the future of hunting is not taking taken into consideration at all with the lion's share of people in the hunting industry, whether it be companies, influencers, media companies, whatever. It's just short term goals, sell, sell, sell. But at what cost? And to right. me, that cost is our kids being able to hunt. Yeah. And and, and I'm telling you, we're we're going to do it to ourselves and we're already doing it to ourselves. Yeah. And it's just going to get worse. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny that you mentioned the way you kind of framed that, because, you know, I spent a lot of my youth um, uh, in, in music. Right. And specifically in kind of counterculture, like underground music scenes. Right. Which, yeah. And you could say, like, I always tell people, like when they start talking about the hunting, like hunting influence in like in the uh, within the mainstream, I'm like, you have to realize that we're really a counterculture group. We're a small group. We're not. Oh, yeah. we're, we're not the mainstream. You know, it's like we're, we are very much a group of counterculture, counterculture to the mainstream. And the thing that you always see in music is that whenever an underground scene becomes viable enough commercially. It's just pillaged until it is until it becomes a shell of itself. And it's almost unrecognizable. I mean, you can look at any major music trend that had a lifeblood of, of true essence, any any, any trend. Yeah. You know, you could look at punk rock, like great example, actually, because it's like, to me, I grew up in punk rock and punk rock and hunting felt very similar to me because it was very sustain, like sustaining yourself to me was kind of what punk rock was, you know? And yep. as soon as there were a couple of punk rock bands that were commercially viable, they tried to churn out more that sounded just like them. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat until it was no longer viable. And then you ditched it, but then you left it basically laying along the road dead, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's funny. You kind of frame it that way. Cause I've always kind of had a similar thought where I was like, if, if folks in the hunting space ever spent significant amounts of time in any other kind of counterculture group that was exploited, they would see it coming, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, un- unfortunately I don't think a lot of, I don't think a lot of, a lot of folks do, but so well, I, it's, because, it's because it's, it, it's because it's it, <laughs> the goal. The goals are one of two things or a combination of both right now. The goals are ego or money or a combination of the two. Yep. And there's, there's really no consideration being made for the, for the, the platform that they're using to uh, to achieve it hmm. um you know th- these these youtube people uh you know a lot of the people that do podcasts lots of the companies they are literally saying and showing whatever it takes saying whatever it takes true or not true or false showing whatever it takes whether it's tasteful or not to sell product or boost ego mm-hmm. And it's it, it's just I'm telling you, you start monetizing this wildlife and and the pursuit of it in hunting, it's over, man. It is over. So we're never going to be the people that's just going to hold the camera in front of our face and do selfies and talk about you know what we think these people are doing because you know I'm never going to cast stones individually against someone else 
you know, right. specific. I'm just not that person. So the only thing we can do is lead by example right. and say, this is how we see honey. We see the romance of it, the heritage and, and the, the one-on-one that it is. Yep. Um, and we see it as an opportunity to help others become either a hunter or a more successful hunter. And that's what we're here to do is to make it better. Right. Not, not, not suck the lifeblood out of it for a dollar or for ego. Right. I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that you like purposefully, it's not about who's in the film or taking credit because the only one I've ever noticed you in, and I actually want to talk about this hunt was the, your South Dakota mule deer hunt. And it took me a minute to actually, to see you. Like, because yeah. just the way everything was shot, I was like, I think that's Brian. I was like, wait a minute. I'm not sure. I think it's, uh, is that him? Like it took me almost half the, half the video to figure out which guy was you. Yeah. You know, well, what so, Shane's always saying, take your mask off, take your mask off. And I go, <laughs> no, no, you're not the boss of me. I'm not doing it. Nice. I, I do want to talk. I do want to talk about that hunt because one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning of that film, um, well, two things, I'll couple this together. You mentioned, that particular uh, place in South Dakota is special. So I want to kind of know from, and I don't want to know where it's at or whatever. I just want to know what makes it special. And then, well, okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Answer that one first and I'll follow up. Well, what's special about it to me is, is that it's, it's, um, what's special about it to me is that it's not in a popular area. Mm -hmm. It's not in one of these areas where people are, you know, it's not one of the popular mule deer, you know, destination areas in, in South Dakota. It's in the middle of nowhere. You got to pump daylight in. I mean, it is remote mm. and I just like it. And there's, you know, it's, there's public land everywhere. There's, there's reservation land everywhere. There's hunters everywhere. And it's just this little sliver there, you know, that this, friend of mine and his family have been there forever and they don't own a lot of it, but they have access and friends and family. And, you know, they just, they've just got this little niche there and it makes it special because I like being with them. They're just right. salt of the earth, hardworking people. And, you know, they're, if they tell you something, they damn sure are going to make sure that they do what they say they're going to do. And I just, man, those people are getting hard to come by. Yeah. So I just enjoy being around them and being out there and damn, I love it. My cell phone don't work. <laughs> I know, man, those places are, are few and far between. And when you find them, they are, uh, they, they are special, yeah. but yeah, you, you mentioned, so the way you opened that film really kind of grabbed me, uh, uh, that, that particular film. Cause you, you talked a little bit about, you know, restraint, patience and willpower at the very beginning yep. as your, as your opening kind of salvo. And, you know, is that something specific to that hunt or is that something that you try to seek, uh, on each hunt, you know, given the, given the opportunity to test those things? Well, I think that it's, it's different. Every hunt's different. Um, so if I'm going elk hunting, I don't really care where I am, how good the unit is, what the potential is. I'm hunting broadside elk. Mm -hmm. I know how hard elk hunting is. I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, First trip was 1991. So what are we talking about? 30 plus years? 30 odd years, yeah. Yeah. So I know how hard this crap is. And so I hunt broadside bulls. 
And I don't really have an ego that's attached or associated with a score when it comes to elk. I, I want a freezer full of elk. I want to I, I want to kill one. So if it's day one or day 15, I'm shooting a broadside bull if it's a legal bull. Mm-hmm. And I'll always be that way. I don't think that'll change. Um, when it comes to like the mule deer, I, I like really big mule deer. That's one of the things I like to really try to kill a big deer because honestly, mule deer are very, very tender. Not, I'm not saying tender. They're very, um, gosh, they're, they're hard animals to keep alive. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not hardy, I guess. Is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Yeah. They're not super hardy animals. They're very susceptible to any types of changes or fluctuations in their world. And they're not going to make it. Right. Um, and so for me, you know, being extremely picky and trying to kill a really big, old, mature mule deer, to me, that's that's what makes it special for me because I literally just don't want to go shoot any old mule deer. Right. Because they're they're hard to come by, and big mule deer are hard to come by. They have and, they have uh, enough challenges so without someone just willy nilly flinging arrows arrows at it necessarily. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and you know, I just that's that's just one of the animals that that I've really tried to, you know, manage and control myself on. And, and then the other thing too is, is, heck man, every time we go out there to this place, I mean, we're slinging arrows on the first day. Well, that was a thing like you, at the, you, you're mentioning that, you know, you, that trip would give you the opportunity to test those patients, will, willpower and restraint. And then you yeah. mentioned that you failed miserably. Cause on the, I fir- the first day, <laughs> you know, you like, I think it was even in the morning, like you had a great encounter, right? Don't want to spoil the, the morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, things took a weird turn, you know, but then like, it was almost like the magical majesty of the place. It was like, all of a sudden, like there was a reason almost why that first encounter ended the way it did, because you would have never had the encounter in the outcome that you had at the end. Which I thought was well, really kind of cool. Well, and like my buddy Lane um, that we hunted with, um, I just I just adore those folks, and uh, and I don't mind sharing. You know, he he does have a small outfitting business. It's called Hell Creek Outfitting, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have any spots. I mean, he only takes six hunters, and I mean, it's he's had the same six people forever, and you know, it's not a big place, and so. I'm not promoting or marketing for him because he doesn't have the ability to take anybody. Right. Right. You know, so, but I mean, I don't want to not give credit where credit is due. It's all him. Right. But I think he enjoys like listening to me, you know, ramble on the night before while we're cooking steaks and, you know, having a drink of brown water that I'm not shooting one tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not even going to carry my boat. (laughs) You know, I think he likes hearing that and then put me on a hill and go, well, you gonna let that one go? I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. Oh my God. That's and hilarious. I, and another thing is, is I'm a bit of a velvet, uh, velvet junkie. Okay. It's, yeah. And so like anything with velvet, like just immediately grows on me. And this thing had a big tag of velvet. This buck had a big tag of velvet hanging off of it. I was like, is that velvet hanging off that thing? And he went, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, ah, golly, man. Oh, I just love it so much. 
And I want, I, I just, I selfishly want people to see it the way I see it. Yeah. I, mean, I, that, want, them that, to, I want them to feel about the way I do. I don't want them to feel about it like a NASCAR commercial. Right now. And I think, I mean, that's, I think the beauty of the, the films that you're putting out, and I don't say this lightly because I'm not a hippy dippy type of type of person necessarily. And I'm not a big yeah. film buff necessarily, you know, but whenever I watch the stuff that you're putting out, like I, I definitely feel a certain way whenever I'm kind of watching and watching it and, and afterwards, you know, it's, it, yeah. it certainly makes me think, you know, and I think that that's, um, what good art does, you know, and that's, I would consider what you're doing to be not hunting films, but art. It just happens to be the, the, the focus of wow. your content is, is wildlife and hunting. Um, cause it's shot that well and the narr and, and the narration is that good. Like it's, it's authentic. It, you know, it's, it's beautifully shot. The colors are awesome and you just get a good sense of, of being there, you know? And that's the, that's what I like. I like art and, you know, creative expressions that take me from one place to another, like take me to a different dimension. And that is, I think what your films does. And I, and I think I've only ever seen like one other. Um, one other kind of hunting kind of content, uh, company or production company or whatever it is, it has done a similar thing, but not quite to the same extent because they are, there is a lot of narration and that would, that would be the guys from, uh, oh, Sean Lutchdo, I think is his, is his name. I can't remember the, oh, the Heartland, Heartland Bow Hunters. Yeah. 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 Beautiful cinematography and stuff like that. And I think they do a good job telling a story, but it's still a hunting show, you know what I mean? So it, it is. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, they certainly uh, did it right and did it right earlier, still doing it right. I mean, it, yeah. they're tastefully doing things, you, you're showing things a certain way. But, you know, at the end of the day, nothing against them, but they're, you know, it's they're selling product. Yeah, and there's they're, you know, they're not sneaking it. It's not sneaking up on. You. I mean, they're no. not sliding it in. They're not hiding. I mean, they're 100 percent selling. Yeah. Animal broadheads. Yeah, and the only the only reason I, the, the only Dude. way I make the comparison is just in the cinematography, and that's where it stops. It's just they yeah, but they but they're doing a great job. Yeah, and, you know, but the thing is, is that gosh, man, you know, hunting pulls at your heartstrings so much, and I, I just I want people to be able to at least feel a, a percentage of what we feel when we're doing it. Yeah, and you know, and and be able to walk away with that feeling. Yeah. You don't get that when you're watching a YouTube channel and somebody's just, I mean, I mean, nothing against it. It's just a different type of content, but it's just a, they push record. It runs for however long. And then they basically download that to the screen and you watch everything. Yeah. When there's no effort put into it other than pushing the record button, button and, and selling something. So, yeah. and it's, and I know it's counterintuitive for me to keep saying this because we do sell hunting product, but, nowhere in our in our content are we pushing our products on anybody no i mean you know? there, there's <laughs> you'd be hard pressed to, to to know what it is that uh that that day, that day six creates from the that's from the right videos, you know yeah so yeah it's got it's it's got to be genuine they've got to they've got to come to us you know in a very organic way but that's how good relationships are built they're built yeah. on good foundations they're not built on all smoke and mirrors you know yeah. so anyway that's it. 
Awesome, man. Well, I know I gotta, I gotta, uh, I could sit and talk to you all day, dude. I love talking to you, man. Um, we need to do this, this more often. Um, but I'm going to let you go. I want to be sensitive to your time. Yep. I got to run to a jujitsu practice and get mm-hmm. my, get my ass kicked some more tonight. Uh, but before, <laughs> before I do that, let people know where they can find out more about day six, let people know where they can watch some of these, uh, kick-ass films you guys are doing. Yeah. So, uh, day six gear com and then we're on instagram day six gear and then we have a day six gear youtube channel pretty easy to find uh it's all spelled out day six gear there you go all right brother man i appreciate you uh, appreciate you coming on and uh look forward to catching up with you again soon you bet all right folks that is a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank all of you for listening if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast and while you're at it Head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.